It is a privilege to be with you tonight, and I'm grateful that I've been given this opportunity to be one of the speakers at this annual event, and I'm grateful for the Lord, to the Lord Jesus Christ for this opportunity. And I also want to thank our brothers and sisters in Christ here at the Rice Road Congregation for extending to me and the other speakers this great opportunity. And finally, I want to thank each person that's here tonight. Glad that you're here and that we can study together from God's Word. For my part, I've tried to put together a clear Bible-based ex explanation of the topic at hand. And I've been asked some questions by the, the brothers and sisters here that I may not cover in my presentation entirely, but I have some time hopefully in the Q&A portion that we can discuss that. This was a subject that I thought I had a real grasp on and then I went a long ways out and didn't know for sure if I did and then I think I've come back, but we'll soon find out if you agree. I want to ask a few questions this evening. Uh, the questions that I have this evening are, if I can get this to work, there we go. What is the age of accountability? Is it a Bible concept? Number two, is there a fixed chronological age found in Scripture when a person is accountable to God regarding salvation? When is a person accountable to God? And number four, what role can parents and other Christian adults play in assisting youth with such eternal decisions? Well, number one, what is the age of accountability? Is it a Bible concept? Well, the phrase, the age of accountability, is not found in the Bible. And even the word accountability is not e easily referenced in our English Bible translations. But the concept of accountability is definitely found in Scripture and certainly a Bible concept. Paul said in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. And Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, he said, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, that they are without excuse. These and other scriptures teach us that human, the human creation of God's creation is in fact accountable to God. But what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to be accountable? Well, the definition of accountable is subject to giving an account or answerable. It, uh, the definition of account is a statement explaining one's conduct. A Bible example of this is the parable of the unjust steward as Jesus recounts in Luke chapter 16. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man, his steward, was wasting his goods. So he called him and he said to him, What is this I hear that about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. This certain rich man required his steward to give an account. Why? Because the steward was able to give an account. The steward didn't ask, what did I do? For he knew what he did. In fact, he asked, what shall I do? Because he knew that he had wasted his master's goods. And thus we can, can conclude that accountability is the ability to give an account. 
Therefore, most of us would likely define the concept of age of accountability as the point in a person's life when they are accountable to God for their sin. Anytime before this point, they're not accountable. Also, we want to establish that when we're talking about this subject of age of accountability, that we're talking about it in connection with salvation or conversion or baptism, these sort of being used interchangeably. And since we know that baptism is necessary for salvation, according to Mark 16, 16, we're just going to simply from this point forward in the study reference the age of accountability in connection with a person's baptism. Question number two, is there a fixed chronological age in Scripture when a person is accountable to God regarding salvation? Well, no, there's not. There's no scripture which clearly and definitively establishes a set or fixed chronological age which applies to every person created. There's no scripture that says there's this age. Now, I realize that there are set ages in our world today, such as the age of 18, when the world says, Congratulations, you're an adult. Now, when you're 17 years and 364 days, you're not an adult, according to the world. But on that 365th day, all of a sudden you become an adult. Now, we're smiling because we realize that that's just a fixed age so that we can go by with regard to our, our what we might do. For example, like join the military, vote, register for select, selective service, donate blood, become an organ donor, uh, draft your own will, work full time, buy a lottery ticket. The world says that when you turn 18, you're old enough to be accountable regarding these things and more. But no such set age is found in Scripture for when a person is accountable to God regarding their sin. Now, true, most human beings, for most of us, there is a time, a phase, a period, a point when a typical young person reaches a level of accountability, but an exact age that applies to every person the same way is not definitive in Scripture. Also, no two people are exactly alike. Wouldn't we agree with that? And so each of us may reach uh, certain levels of growth and maturity at different levels and different times in our life. This is especially true when it comes to growing children. Uh, there are multiple factors that affect physical, mental, and psychological growth of children. There's genetics. Some have called that the nature, you know, where studies have found that genetics influence the psychological growth of children. Then there's the environment, the nurture, uh, how a child is raised may impact their development. It's possible that children who are raised in the church may perhaps reach an accountability to God at a little younger age than those that are not. And then there's gender. Uh, we, we're told by experts that study children that girls uh, tend to mature faster than boys. And then there's something called puberty. Puberty is the change in a boy or a girl's body going from childhood to adulthood. These changes can affect the size and the shape of their body. Usually when little boys and little girls are very young, they don't really look that much different from one another. But as they go through puberty, they begin to change. The boys get a little taller. Their voices drop down a little lower. They get a little bit bigger, and girls uh, look more feminine. 
these outward changes are usually a sign that mental, emotional, and intellect changes are also happening simultaneously on the inside of the person. But this is not always the case. We know that there's some people that change outwardly. They go through puberty. They look more like an adult. But because of something that they were born with, they're very limited and don't have the ability cognitively as other people. Growing from childhood to adulthood for either boy or girl can be very difficult. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, he said, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, I realize that this scripture primarily is dealing with spiritual gifts, probably what Paul was talking about, but it is applicable, I think, to the idea that we're talking about tonight. According to the National Institutes of Health, Puberty usually begins in girls between ages 8 and 13 years of age. And in between, uh, for boys, between ages 9 and 14 years of age. They develop a little bit later. Now there are uh, rare, but there are times when uh, boys and girls can uh, develop uh, puberty earlier. This is called precocious puberty. And, but trying, ultimately, what we're trying to understand is that trying to determine an exact age for accountability to God is like trying to determine when a boy becomes a man and a girl becomes a woman. It's not exactly the same for every person. So, do we conclude then that age does not matter in the idea of age of accountability? Well, of course age matters. With age comes gained perspectives and experiences. Job said in Job chapter 12, verse 12, Wisdom is with aged men, and with length of days understanding, he wrote. We see that with age, both men and women can gain wisdom due to life experiences. But does that mean that all older men and all older women are wise? And what exactly is an aged person? What age is it when you become aged? Is it 65 years of age or 70 or 80? What about 40 or 30? When I was 12 years old, I knew a, a man that turned 20 and I thought he was aged. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 29, God told Israel, All who complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. Now, this shows that those younger than 20 years uh, old were not held accountable, even if perhaps they also complained against God, as did the 20 years and older. In 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 2, we read of Josiah, who was only eight years old when he was crowned as the king of Judah. And the Bible says in verse 2, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. He seemed to know right from wrong. But in 2 Kings chapter 21, the Bible says that Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king in Judah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Speaking of 12 years old, some people say that a person should be at least 12 years of age before they can make the decision to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ or be baptized into Christ. They reach this conclusion 
from what the Bible records for us uh, of the boy Jesus is found in Luke chapter 2, verse 42. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they, his parents, went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was, after three days they found him, Jesus, in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. The argument here is that, is that Jesus was 12 years old when he astonished his teachers by his level of understanding and answers. And so the logic is 12 years old is the youngest age that a person uh, could be baptized in Christ since this is a Bible example where somebody who was 12 years old had understanding and answers. The problem with this logic is Jesus was 30 years old when he was baptized according to Luke chapter 3, 21 and 23. If Jesus was old enough to be baptized at 12 years of age, why did he wait until he was 30? And what about other Bible examples for certain individuals in the Bible who reached other milestones in their life? If we use, for example, 12 years old to determine the age of accountability because there's a Bible example, should we not then use 40 years old to determine when a person should get married? Because the Bible says there's two examples of that. Genesis 25 and Genesis 26 tells us that both Isaac and Esau were 40 years of age when they were married. Does that mean a person is too young to be married at 39? And what about the length of our life? Moses prayed as recorded in the Psalms, Psalm chapter 90, verse 10. He said, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength, they are 80 years. Does that mean that we're violating Scripture if we live beyond our 80th birthday? What we learn from this point in our study is that age alone is problematic regarding accountability to God. The Bible gives no specific age for when a person is accountable to their Creator. So age does matter even in obedience to the gospel, but not by itself. It's just one factor in being accountable to God, not the definition of it. In Numbers chapter 1, verses 1 or 2 through 3, we see an example where only those men who were at least 20 years old and older were required to go to war for Israel. God said, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male individually, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. To the Lord, you see, age mattered. Who went to war? They had to be at least 20 years or older. But notice, God gave another stipulation that even these that were 20 years and older ha had to be able, who are able to go to war. This brings us to our third question. When is a person accountable to God? Each individual is accountable to God when they are able to give an account to God. Age alone is neither scripturally nor rationally a reliable determinant of accountability to God. The greater question of when an individual is accountable relies more on their ability than their age. All the creation, all the creation, everything that God made was very good, the Bible says. Genesis 1, then God saw everything that He had made, and indeed it was very good. 
This very good creation, it included the sun, the moon, the stars, the oceans, the mountains, the valleys, all the plant life, all the animals, and of course human beings. This meant that Adam and Eve started off perfectly healthy and without sin. They were just like all the rest of creation. Very good. But that was all about to be challenged. When the Lord God gave Adam and his wife Eve a commandment, before God gave them this first commandment, these were two perfectly sinless adults. They weren't small children. After all, they were married. Man and wife. Adam was called man by God. Eve was called woman by Adam. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. You see, even though they were grown-up adults, before God's commandment came, they were as innocent as little babies. So here are these two grown adults. They had no idea of sin. They had no understanding of right and wrong. God's commandment hadn't come yet. They had no concept of morality. Before the command came from God, they had no standard of moral reasoning. What could they base it off of? But then God gave them their first commandment. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Then God gave them the commandment. He said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. When God gave Adam and Eve their first command, they were able to receive it. This meant they were able to know God's command. And this is a key factor in being accountable to God. God said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we know that they knew that command because even before they sinned, Adam and Eve could repeat what God had told them. When the serpent asked Eve in Genesis 3 verse 1, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Eve didn't respond, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure what God said, because she did know, and so did Adam. Adam, she responded in the next verse, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And so they had the ability to know the command of God. We see that right here. This was a key factor in Adam and Eve being accountable to God. Not just their age, for before the commandment came, they were adults. They should have been old enough as adults to know, but they didn't. They were as innocent as babies. But after the commandment came, they had the ability to know what God's will was. The same applies today. Any person who has the ability to know God's will, God's command, God's law, has entered the door of accountability. But not everybody has that ability. Little babies, small children, the mentally disabled, those with severe cognitive impairments may very well not have the ability to know the will of God. In fact, they may not even have the ability to know God. The Lord Jesus said many times in the gospel accounts, He said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Clearly, this was given by the Lord as a warning to those who have the ability to uh, understand in faith and to obey the gospel, to do it. But I believe it also includes those who don't have that ability or don't have the ability to, to hear the gospel, which is why Jesus said only those who have ears to hear are required to hear. And so human beings that, like babies and small children, mentally incompetent, those who don't have the ability to receive God's will, cannot be held accountable to it 
in the same way that those who do. Because babies are not born into sin or do, or do not inherit sin, as some people claim. Each person is accountable, according to the Bible, for, to God for their own sin. No one is accountable to God for another person's sin. As God said through the mouth of the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 18, verse 20, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. Jesus described little children as righteous. He said in Mark chapter 10, verse 15, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And Paul concludes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. If Jesus said that we must be as little children to receive the kingdom of God, and Paul said the unrighteous cannot inherit the kingdom of God, then we can conclude that little children are not unrighteous, as some claim, or sinners. The Bible is clear. Infants and the very young and those who are innocent, who die in their innocence, shall be with the Lord after they die. An example of this is the child of David and Bathsheba, who was conceived in adultery. David and Bathsheba, Bathsheba committed adultery sin, and the child would have to die, but not because of its sin, but because of David's sin. And after the little innocent child did die, what did David say? As found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, David said, but he shall not return to me. If the child had been born into sin and died in sin, then David obviously would not have wanted to go where the child was if that was the case. But number two, on this idea of ability, also, not only did Adam and Eve have the ability to know God's command, they also had the ability to choose it. Choose God's command or reject it. This is another key factor in being accountable to God. After God gave Adam and Eve this first command, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the choice was whose? Theirs. Eat it or not eat it. Obey God or disobey God. God gave them that ability to choose. But not just the ability to choose, but the ability to choose right from wrong. Now, I believe that this is an important point. The ability to make choices was not limited to only human beings in the creation. Many animals, it appears, have been given by God the ability to make some choices. This is our dog, Ollie, at home. If I place in front of Ollie the choice of eating a T-bone steak or a salad, I'm pretty sure he's not going to be asking me for ranch dressing. <laughs> And there are other animals that have the ability to make some choices. We've seen uh, situations where they've tested squirrels and mice and rats and mazes, and they've chosen this path or that path. And there's probably even more advanced choices than that. But the power to choose good over evil, to be obedient to the Creator's will or to reject His will, that gift has been given to those here on earth that are human creation. Some have called this gift from God free moral agency or moral reasoning or moral judgment. But the central theme is connected to morality, which by definition is principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong. The power to choose right from wrong is the understanding of right from wrong. The ability of choice that Adam and Eve had 
allowed them to do what? Allowed them to distinguish with moral reasoning what God's will was and understand it. Paul said it this way in Romans 7, verse 9. He said, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, or that means sin was lit like a fire, and I died. Before the command came, Adam and Eve had life, didn't they? Both spiritually and physically. But once the commandment came from God, don't eat of it, they chose to disobey God. Their disobedience was their choice because they knew the command. And so therefore, they sinned, and their sin brought death. Same today. Little children, even very small children, they can choose some things. This binky or that binky? This blankie or that blankie? This toy or that toy? But when that child grows and matures and has the ability to choose good over evil, then he's aware and he understands the command of God and is subject and accountable to it. In October of 1994, the Seattle Times published an article entitled, Right from Wrong, At What Age Do Children Develop a Moral Sense and Understand What It Means to Commit a Crime? The article said this, Generally, those under 12 have not been charged with crimes because it has, been, it has been presumed that they cannot be expected to know right from wrong or appreciate the consequences of their actions. But as crimes committed by juveniles grow more numerous and more heinous, the push is on to try, in court, younger children as adults. And we see this even today, even more. More and more children at younger and younger ages are committing terrible acts of violence. Are they accountable? Well, let us consider this. Scripture teaches us that obedience to one's parents is called by God as the first commandment with promise. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. The first commandment is given by God. Whether or not the parents require the obedience or not, God says, children, obey your parents. For several years of his or her life, a child obeys or disobeys, probably because mom and dad say, say so. This is perhaps the age of innocence. Then they want to avoid consequences. They don't like to get their hands smacked anymore. Or they don't like to have to sit in time out. This may be the time or the age of foolishness. The Bible speaks of this in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. Solomon said foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. He didn't say sin. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And so the child is disciplined not as a means of correcting sin, as in transgressing God's law, but by correcting behavior and establish an understanding in the child's mind, correct his behavior, knowing right from wrong. And even when the child throws terrible tantrums and slaps or bites another individual or tells a lie, it doesn't mean that the child's evil, just foolish. But as that child grows and matures, if he knowingly chooses to disobey his parents, even after discipline and correction, and he knows that dis disobedience to his parents is disobedience to God, and yet refuses to heed the correction, he may be accountable to God. This is because he can distinguish between right and wrong. He's entered the age of moral reasoning or moral awareness. Again, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, he said, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. That word difficult means evil. 
signifying that there's a transition back when you're back yonder there when you're young and you're innocent. But you transition into an age of moral awareness where you know what's evil and what's good. For those who have received God's will and are able to know His command and are able with moral reasoning to choose or reject His command, like Adam and Eve, they are being transferred from the age of innocence to the age of moral awareness or accountability. This is why babies, young children, even adults born with cognitive disabilities who can't choose right from wrong are not accountable to God because they lack sufficient understanding to believe or deny God. When God spoke to Jonah in the last verse of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4 verse 11, about those 120,000 souls in Nineveh who could not discern between their right hand or their left and much livestock. God was reminding Jonah, hey Jonah, there's over there in, innocent, or over there in Nineveh some innocent folks that I want to save. And that might have included the animals like the livestock. He mentions it. But it no doubt included the 120,000 souls or people. And these were likely babies, small children, and perhaps those who were mentally disabled, who could not choose, as God said, right from wrong. They don't know the right hand from their left. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39, when God was punishing the Israelites for their lack of faithfulness at Kardash Barnea, He specifically stated the little ones would be exempted from punishment because they had no knowledge of good and evil. But once the knowledge of good and evil was present, then there is sin. Again, Roman, Paul said in Romans chapter 7, this time verse 8, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For, for apart from the law, sin was dead. But finally, yet without accountability to God, there's also one more factor. It is the awareness of understanding sin. Not only did Adam and Eve have the ability to know God's command, they had the ability to choose good and reject evil, they also had the ability to understand that they had sinned against God. The Bible says that after they ate the forbidden fruit, we'll call it, and disobeyed God, the Bible says that their eyes were opened. They knew that they were guilty. They understood the consequence of their choice, thereby activating and convicting their conscience. In the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus says, as found in Luke 15, that when the prodigal son got to the lowest state of his sinful status, he's down there slopping the hogs and wants to eat what they're eating. The Bible says this is when he came to himself. And I believe that means the same thing with Adam and Eve. His eyes were opened. And then he goes back home to the Father, and what does he say? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached the first gospel message of Christ, Peter was clear to the people that were there that day that they were guilty of killing the Christ, God's Son. The people there that day, they were probably, no doubt, familiar with the Old Covenant Scriptures. They had heard about even the Messianic prophecies. But up until Pentecost, they did not understand that they were guilty. The Bible says that after Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart, meaning their conscience was convicted. Like Adam and Eve who responded to the guilt of their sin by sewing fig leaves together for coverings, the people at Pentecost responded to the guilt of their sin by crying out to the apostles, men and brethren, 
What shall we do? Because accountability and responsibility go hand in hand. One who is accountable is also responsible and will either accept by faith God's plan for salvation or will reject the path of salvation through Christ once they understand it. In Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading the Word of God regarding the prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 53 concerning the Christ. But until Philip helped him, he wasn't able to understand God's will. The Bible, as it's recorded, says in Acts chapter 8, verse 30 and 31, So Philip ran to him. He heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he said, Do you understand what you are reading? And the Ethiopian man said, How can I? Unless someone guides me. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. From that point, Philip began preaching the message of Jesus to the Ethiopian man. This message was understood by the Ethiopian, and he was convicted by it because he responded when they came to a body of water. He said, see, here's water. What's keeping me or hindering me from being baptized? To which Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The same applies today. If a person has the ability to know God's will, to choose good and reject evil regarding God's will, and understand that they have sinned against God, then that person will act, either coming to Christ or rejecting Him. Just like those at Pentecost or the Ethiopian eunuch who responded in the affirmative and came believing in Christ and was obedient and were baptized. But also like the rich young ruler who heard the instructions of the Christ and responded by walking away from the Lord. If a young person hears the gospel message, yet has to ask her parents if she's ready to be baptized, then she's not ready to be baptized into Christ. But if a person has a fire in their bones like Jeremiah talked about, if that person is convicted by their sin, if they know the command of God, if they know that they've not just been disobedient to man, even their parents, but to God, they've sinned against God, then their tender conscience will react and they will desire to do something. They will respond with urgency, knowing that they've offended the God of heaven. David sinned against his own body. We mentioned this earlier about David. He sinned against his own body when he committed adultery with Bathsheba another man's wife. He sinned against her husband when he had him killed on the battlefield, Uriah. And yet in Psalm 51, verse 4, notice what David says to God. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Because David understood that ultimately his sin was against the God of heaven. Question number four. What role can parents and other Christians play in assisting children with eternal decisions? Well, we need to be assuring them. Give them assurance. We need to remind them that God desires all people to be saved. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. We need to tell them that, as the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 13, verse 5, that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That God loves them, that you do too. That we need to encourage them and devote time and prayer in this situation, even before they ever make the decision, personal time, personal prayer, as Timothy's mother and grandmother did with him. Paul reminds us in the second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. 
He said, speaking to Timothy, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then we need to listen to them. We need to listen to our children. Uh, Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. You know, if we listen to our children and our grandchildren, we might hear everything that we need to hear to make good decisions to help them making these decisions. And finally, what if you're fill-in-the-blank your old asks to be baptized. Well, number one, this would be what I would suggest based on what we studied. Schedule a time for prayer and Bible study, not a baptism. And then in the study, ask the same kind of questions that we've talked about this evening. Are they able to know God's commands? Can they tell you, for example, Bible commands in the Bible? Do they know much about the Bible? Have you watched them in the pew during the church services? Are they doodling? Are they listening? Are they flipping to the passages? Are they thinking about it at home when you have Bible time? Are they responding seriously and soberly? You know quite a bit about your children, don't you? How about are they able to choose right from wrong? Can they explain the difference between good and evil? Can they tell you that this is what's right but this is not what's right about very serious moral issues. Are they able to understand that their sin has separated them from God if they feel like they've sinned? Or are they not able to differentiate between the fact that they've disobeyed you and told you a falsehood or did something, stole a cookie, but they realize that they've actually sinned against God and they identify that sin and they identify the Scripture and they understand the moral repercussions with regard to that sin. But then, even after this, ask for a reprieve with them. Can they wait to be baptized? If yes, then continue to study with them and pray with them, letting them know that you're with them every step of the way. But if they cannot wait, if they're not asking you if they're ready, but they are ready, they want to be baptized, then how is it any different than the Ethiopian eunuch? What hinders me from being baptized and what the preacher said was, if you believe, you may. Or how is it different than Ananias said to Saul? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, Acts twenty-two sixteen. 16. It comes down to this, ultimately. It's each person's decision. If it would be wrong to force your child to be baptized, and it would be, then wouldn't it be equally wrong to prohibit them if they had the ability to choose, if they had the ability to know, if they had the ability to understand their sin, and they were of age, as we've talked about somewhat tonight, that transition of life where they begin to know, as Solomon said, before the difficult days come. But ultimately, it's their decision. As found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. And so, I believe according to the Scriptures, age is a factor, not the only factor. It's the ability of the individual and their accountability. 
and the urgency of the action that they want to obey the gospel of Christ.